Court watchers anticipate charges against former President Donald Trump. President Biden previews his 2024 re-election platform in dollars and cents. And Fox fights a legal battle over its lies about the 2020 election. At the end of this week full of political developments, it's time for the analysis of Brooks and Capehart. That's New York Times columnist David Brooks and Jonathan Capehart, associate editor for The Washington Post. With a welcome to you both on this Friday evening. Jonathan, we'll start with you. In this interview we just heard uh, with former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, he said that serious times call for problem solvers. Omna asked him about gun violence, about social security solvency, about trans issues. What did you make of the solutions that he offered? Well, let's start with, with crime, because that's the one that really piqued my interest, because he went immediately to violent crime in our inner cities. And it made me think of a study from Third Way, um, the, centri well, the Democratic-leaning um, think tank Third Way here in Washington, that put out a report last March, almost a year ago, March 2022, um, that showed that the top 10 homicide rates in the United States um, eight of the 10 states with the highest homicide rates uh, per capita in 2020 um, were tr states that voted for Donald Trump. Hmm. The number nine state is Arkansas with 10.3 murders per capita, uh, the ninth most homicides in the country. And so my question for the governor would be, why is that so high in your state? What did you do when it came to that kind of crime? Um, and especially if they were crimes that were committed with guns, what are you doing to be a part of the solution? When it comes to Social Security, I, you know, that Nikki Haley proposal that uh, Amna pointed out uh, is an interesting idea because it's not about the retirees who are raising about the age. Raising the age, mm -hmm. or, well, yeah, ra well, raising the retirement age. But for, if I heard Amna correctly, folks who are in their 20s mm -hmm. now, I didn't hear a direct response to that. And I think that's going to be the, the challenge for the former governor. Uh, David, I want to get your reaction here. And, and as this Republican field fills out, you've got Chris Sununu, Asa, Asa Hutchinson weighing their options, Tim Scott potentially, former Vice President Mike Pence. Who is positioned to be the moderate, to use your phrase, uh, normie Republican candidate moving forward? Yeah, well, this is a season where a lot of governors are reaching out to journalists, so I've spent a lot of time around governors all of a sudden. Uh, and my my sense is that the Republicans have quite a strong, it's like a, a major league baseball organization with a great minor leagues and a pitcher who can't throw a pitch, and that pitcher is Donald Trump. But underneath, uh, there's a lot of talent in the party. And when you talk to the governors, I'm talking about Governor Kemp of Georgia, Governor Sununu of New Hampshire, former Governor Ducey of Arizona, Governor Yunkin of Virginia, I think one of the things they point to is that people are moving to red states. If you look at where people are moving, they're moving out of blue states and into red states. And why is that? Well, their claim is that people like the quality of life. Uh, they like the tax structure. They like the schools. And so Florida, Georgia, Texas, uh, just a lot of people are moving those places. And these governors are not focusing on some of the culture war issues, they're, except for DeSantis. They're not going after Disney. They're not making trans the center of their, you know, their trans issues, the center of whatever they want to do. They're talking about crimes, streets, schools, the normal things that governance is all about. And so I do think there is a lane for a um, somebody who's going to focus on quality of life. And if I had to pick out one person right now, I would say Chris Sununu of New Hampshire. And that's mostly because he's just a warm, friendly, natural, good guy that people like. He won a very impressive reelect victory up there in New Hampshire, a, a pretty mixed state. 
And somehow he leaps out to me in these early days as someone with just political skill. And so if there's going to be a normie or somebody who's going to focus on quality of life, somehow Governor Sununu seems to me at least a potential uh, that person. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Jonathan, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has reportedly indicated uh, to folks privately that he intends to run. He's in Iowa today, headed to Nevada tomorrow. There are Democrats who say that a DeSantis presidency could potentially be more troubling than a second Trump term, in part because in Ron DeSantis, you have a Harvard, Harvard and Yale educated lawyer, someone who really believes in the culture wars in which he is engaged, and someone who fundamentally understands how the levers of power work and how to use them. Where do you come down on that? That's exactly where I come down. I have been saying, particularly to the young people who I talked to, or who were so focused on Donald Trump and whether he could win, uh, you know, win re-election to the White House in 2024, and said, forget about Donald Trump. Focus on the entire field because it is about Trumpism. And I was thinking specifically about Governor DeSantis because he is Trump, but Trump with the real Ivy League pedigree, who has been a governor. Um, who knows how the levers of uh, power work and knows how to work them. And also, let's not forget, the big red wave that everyone was talking about that was supposed to sweep Congress didn't happen federally, but it happened in Florida. Hmm. And Governor DeSantis won by a big margin. And so we have to keep that in mind. That's what makes uh, Governor DeSantis um, so dangerous. I noticed that David didn't mention him in his when he was rattling off all the normies, and he didn't mention him because of what David mentioned, that Governor DeSantis is so focused on the culture wars. Um, that's why he's coming in second to, to Donald Trump. But let's not forget, and this is the other reason, final reason why he is dangerous, the culture war stuff works hmm. because it's emotional. And that is what I think the, the entire nation has to keep its eyes on that. The other big story this week was the New York Times first reporting that the Manhattan prosecutors have invited former President Donald Trump to appear before a grand jury investigating his alleged role in hush money payments and an alleged cover-up. What are the political implications, David, if he is the first president ever to be indicted, add to that, while he's running for office? Yeah, I had the profound thought earlier today that being indicted is not good for your political career. Um, so <laughs> it, it reminds people that, you know, the Stormy Daniels, that whole mess. Uh, and so it can't be good. Um, I don't think the New York case is where I would keep my focus. I just think to be to lift this hush money payment to the level of a felony strikes me. And from what I've read, strikes a lot of people as a bit of a, a stretch. To me, the Georgia case is the real case. Uh, trying to corrupt an election process, that's something anybody can understand. And that strikes me as felony-like. And I would say I, I'm struck, even talking to Republicans over the last six months, how much January 6th has had an accumulative power on their minds. There are some people for whom it's fine. It was a peaceful walk in the park, as Tucker Carlson said. But there are a lot of people who didn't say much at the time. But now that they actually have candidates in front of them, they're thinking, that's just, that was horrible. And that was a menace. And so now all the other Republican candidates, aside from Donald Trump and maybe DeSantis, are beginning to use January 6th as a way to distinguish themselves from Trump. And so I think that Georgia case is the, is the indictment I'd look for. How would an indictment, and again, we don't know that it's going to end in any charge, but, but how would that affect Donald Trump's standing? Because he is someone who has spent, has invested a lot of time and energy in sowing distrust 
uh, about, the, about the institutions that seek to hold him to account. When he was at CPAC this past weekend, he told his supporters, they're not coming after me, they're coming after you. That would have, could have a, a rallying effect, could it not? Sure, sure it could have a, a rallying effect, and it would have, <clears throat> excuse me, no impact on his standing, meaning he's not going to lose support. His supporters are there. They are his, his bedrock, 28, 30 percent. Um, I think the other reason why I don't see any change to his political standing is because in order for him to have some sort of change in his standing, that would require him to have a sense of shame. And we know after four years, well, his run for president and his four years in the White House, he has no shame. And so, of course, he's going to he would stay in the race if he gets indicted. Of course, he will stay in the race and walk the gauntlet of news cameras outside a courtroom in New York City while he's supposed to be running for president, because it all, in the end, to his mind, inures to his benefit. Meanwhile, going through all that does nothing for the Republican Party, does nothing for our you know, political discourse, and does nothing for our democracy. Uh, Governor Chris Sununu, David, this week had the chance to interview him, and he said that uh, he's not concerned about the number of Republicans who decide to run in this race. The question was about uh, if there are too many Republicans in the field, does that benefit Donald Trump? He said the, the, the bigger thing is these Republicans have to know when to get out. How does that strike you? Well, he's right in theory. It's, it's a lot harder in practice, because if you're running for president, you're raising a ton of money. And so you build up these war chests, and suddenly a couple of weeks go by, it doesn't look so good. A, do you want to look at your donors and say, ah, sorry, you wasted your money. You're not allowed to give them the money back. And so, and you have to spend it that election cycle. And so it's actually hard to withdraw because you got this pot of money there, and the instinct is to say, oh, I'll just stay in. I've got this money. I might as well see what I got and spend it. And so since it's structurally hard to get out for this fundraising reason I've described, a lot of them are going to face the temptation to stay in longer than they should. And that will, that will split the field. I think it's a real problem for anybody who does not want Donald Trump to be the nominee. David Brooks and Jonathan Capehart, appreciate you both. Have a good weekend. Thanks, Jeff.